Well, good morning, everybody here at Gettysburg Pike. And I want to say good morning to Pastor Sean and Pastor John and the uh, congregation over on Good Hope Road. I want us all to say out loud together, good morning, Good Hope Road, because they they're, they're simulcast right now with us, okay? So on three, one, two, three, say good morning, Good Hope Road. One, two, three. Good morning, Good Hope Road. Oh, that was great. I'm sure they feel really welcome, and now they're waking up and getting ready. Daybreak is one church at two locations here at Gettysburg Pike, then over on Good Hope Road over in Hamden Township. And I want to give a special shout out to Pastor Sean. Most of you probably don't know this, but he recently completed all of his ordination work, which usually takes about two years. He passed his oral review, and it will be officially ordained this Friday morning at 11 a.m. at the Good Hope Road campus. So let's give him a hand. That's a big accomplishment. And I wanted to say thank you to all of you at both campuses for extending me the sabbatical leave that I had. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I come back refreshed and renewed in the Lord. And really thank you for everything you did to do that. Especially Pastor Rick, who really did my job and his job at the same time for a whole summer. Uh, on my return, he said, I didn't think it would be that, really that bad to do both of our jobs, but it was. <laughs> So he gets a sabbatical next summer, and I already helped him start. We're, we're going to start planning for that. And uh, so next summer, I get to do your job, too. So payback is coming uh, to me. But I really, really do appreciate that. I got to be refreshed. I also got to do some work on my doctoral program at Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack, New York. Got to go take another course there and work on my thesis a little bit. Some of you have asked me uh, um, and ask some questions about someone said are you ready to graduate from that program i said i'm not smart enough to do a doctoral program in one year uh, i just started uh, one year ago i am halfway through the coursework there's six intensive courses that you have to take so i've taken three of those and i have to take three more of those and then i have to do my research and write my thesis so i'm scheduled to graduate in 2016 from that program, okay? So uh, if you'd like to write a letter and say our pastor's exemplary, we think you should just waive a couple of these courses for him and just confer on him that honorary doctorate degree, feel free to do that. I don't think they'll listen, but you can give that a shot, okay? But uh, I just wanted to say thank you for that. I have to admit that last year when I started the doctoral program at ATS, it was quite, uh, I was quite apprehensive. Uh, one of my uh, mentors had recruited me somewhat to be part of the program and told me that the program he thought would be good for me, be a change of perspective. But it had been a long time since I'd been in the classroom and doing a doctoral dissertation and degree seemed like, you know, it was kind of ominous. Now, one of the first things that we had to do for orientation course is to read a book called Dreaming Big by Bob Beale. And we had to read this book and the book is really set up to be about 30 days worth of reflections as you go through it. So you read a day you do the reflections and you write a journal on it. So I did that, but what happened was when I was finishing up the journal and two other papers for orientation and for the first course, the power went out because of one of our summer storms last uh, July, the end of last July, beginning of August, and I lost everything. And I was at the end of the process. But that really wasn't the worst of it all. I had to sit down and then just re-come back up with what did I journal on for 30 days and do the entries and, you know, plead a little bit of uh, the blood of Jesus over my professors and ask for some help there. And uh, I was able to put that all back together and get to class. But one of the things that really bothered me more than that was that I really couldn't come up with a succinct statement of what my big dream for my life was supposed to be. 
I couldn't boil it down, and I kept coming up with things, and I'd send them to friends, and no one really seemed to uh, reverberate anything back to me about that, and so I, I was really afraid that we would get there for orientation. I would sit down with my cohort group of people for, in ministry for, for years like I have been in, and we'd sit down in that group, and we were supposed to read those statements out loud. I was scared to death that's what was going to happen, because I didn't have a completed one. And uh, so I, I was really happy to find out that when we got there, we didn't have to share the statements. We just did a one-on-one meeting with our mentor about that. And that was great. That got me off the hook. But it still bothered me deep down inside that I couldn't put together those distinct statements. I'm a communications major in my bachelor's degree. I should be able to do that. I should be able to put that together. I'm a bit of a wordsmith. I like doing that kind of thing. So it really bothered me that I couldn't do it. And people kept asking me, you know, why are you doing this doctoral degree? And what do you think God has for you? And now you've turned, because I turned 50 at that same time. So everybody, you know, 50, you know, all of a sudden you're supposed to have the wisdom of the rustic at 50 years old. And I was finding, I, I didn't know. I had to keep telling people I didn't know. I remember sitting down with my mom at lunch one day last summer and she's like, why are you embarking on this doctoral degree? And I'm like, mom, stop the pressure. <laughs> She's like, I'm just trying to check in, jeepers, creepers, you know. And people were just trying to check in with me, but I felt a lot of pressure that I didn't know. I didn't have this crystal clear picture of where I was going in the autumn and into the winter of my life, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s. I didn't know what I was going to do, and I didn't know what was going on. I felt like a tortoise that has flipped over and its back. I felt paralyzed, and I felt terrorized at the same time. That people were going to keep asking me this question, and I wouldn't have a good answer for them. And then it came to me as I was doing some reading for a class on the development of the leader's soul. And I read a book that I'd read years ago. I still had it on my shelf by Dallas Willard called The Spirit of the Disciplines. But this phrase stuck out to me. It is every Christ follower's responsibility to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God or else sin will start to look good. It is every Christ follower's responsibility to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God, or else sin will look good. And I realized that it hit me like a locomotive coming at me head on. That the reason that I could not get a hold of the dream that God had for me was I was way too focused on myself. It was all about me and my dream, what I was going to do next. Joel's name was on every page. I, me, mine, myself. It was about me. It wasn't about God. And the reason that this quote jumped off the page was that my job in moving into this program and moving into my 50s and 60s and 70s was the same job that God had assigned me when he called me into his family at age 23, and that is to carve out a satisfying life under the loving rule of God and be his follower, to be his son, to be his servant, to do what's next, not have grandiose dreams and plans and follow his dream that he's laid out in his word for his people and his followers, his disciples. And so I was humbled by that, but also that helped me feel like, oh, I haven't missed the boat. And every year on Vision Sunday, we do something similar here. We come together and we say, we're walking with Jesus on a life-changing journey, and it's not all about us, it's all about Him. And it's about getting our focus and our heart and our life and our passions aligned with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be in a life-changing journey with him, to celebrate his grace, to connect with his family, to contribute to his work, and to help other people discover and develop that life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. And so this morning, 
I want to just share with you a little bit about what's going on in my soul, about how God's been rebuilding in me, I believe, a spiritual backbone that's based on his word. It's based on the word of God. And a spiritual backbone that isn't just for me, but it's for us. And it's for the church. So that we have the same spiritual backbone that the early church had. Because I believe that last year, when God was speaking to me, and he's been speaking to me over this last year period of time, he's been rebuilding me the fiber of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And I want that to be what we we, uh, work on for this next year. Letting God build in the fiber in us to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like the early church was. The early church is a model of people who had a backbone, a spiritual backbone. They were laser-focused on the concept of bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdoms of the earth through becoming the church. That's what the church does. The church brings the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdoms of earth through the way that we treat one another, the way we worship one another, the way that we connect, the way that we contribute, the way that we help other people discover that life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. We are the interjection of the kingdom of heaven on earth now. One day it will be fully done. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, we are the type of that. We are the prototype of it. And God wants us to embrace that and have a backbone. Our text for this morning is taken from Acts 2, 42 through 47. I want to read it to you. Listen to as I read about the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and good, they gave to anyone as they had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now before we look into the key components of the backbone of the early church that can be our backbone too, of our church and us as individual followers of Jesus Christ, I just want to give you a little bit of the backstory on this passage, okay? We know that Jesus Christ shared his life with the twelve for at least three years. He called them out, come follow me. He trained them up. He taught them how to preach and teach and cast out demons and do miracles. He trained them up to bring the the kingdom of heaven to bear on the kingdoms of this world. He developed them as leaders of the early church. Jesus goes on to suffer on the cross, to bear the shame and the weight of the sin of the world, be the atoning sacrifice for all time, and then to rise again from the dead and put a stake in the ground for all time, that God is redeeming what he has created. The great creator is also the redeemer of all mankind. Jesus then tells his disciples to gather and wait for the Holy Spirit to come on them, who will empower them to be his witnesses, and then he ascends back into heaven. So the twelve were together, and then 120 gather in this place called the Upper Room in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and they are supernaturally able to speak in the tongues of the people that are gathered in Jerusalem, it says, from every nation under heaven. And so everyone can hear clearly the good news in their own language. The supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do that. Peter is so filled with the Holy Spirit that he preaches a sermon that goes something like this. Jesus Christ came. He was the Son of God. 
You crucified him, but he rose again. Time to apologize. And 3,000 people accept the message, accept the good news of Jesus Christ, and usher into the kingdom of God. And then it says from then on, daily those are being saved. People are coming to Christ. And Jerusalem is in a stir because the kingdom of heaven is coming to bear on the kingdom of the earth. And the church is born. And so after this, we have what I just read to you. The dynamic that's happening in the early church that reveals their backbone. Going from 12 to 120 to 3,000 and then more and more and more. And Jerusalem is erupting because God's building this biblical backbone into his church that's operating at full potential. So what does that backbone look like? Let's look at that. Let's take some notes. The first one is find your backbone. Number one, fully celebrate the awesome nature of God. You and I can reestablish and find our backbone as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ when we're like the early church and fully celebrate the awesome nature of God. Acts 2.43 says that everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now you need to know that many of the people who were there in Jerusalem in the city were visitors. They had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate one of the Jewish festivals. If you read over this passage too quickly, you miss that. God was setting something up. There were three major feasts according to Deuteronomy chapter 16. The Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. During these three main feasts of the year, everyone who called themselves a Jewish person was called to make pilgrimage. Now, not all of them would do it, but many of them would do it, to Jerusalem for the feast. And so that's why it says in the text of Scripture here that there were people from every nation under, earth, under heaven. They were there. They were Jewish people drawn together. They had come together for the Feast of Pentecost. And on the Feast of Pentecost, everyone got the day off. Manservants, maidservants, guests in your house, little roaches that are running around the floor. Everyone, according to Scripture, got the day off. Your cows got the day off. Your sheep got the day off. Everyone, it says, give everyone. This is a day of celebration. And it was a day of celebration because it was the 50th day after the Passover. And the Passover was, of course, a type of Christ coming. And Jesus Christ, when did he die? On the Passover. He was the Passover lamb. He was the fulfillment. He was the atonement of it. So the next feast is Pentecost, 50 days after that. So 50 days after that, they were to celebrate that God always provides in a new way. Because when they were in Egypt, God provided one day, one way. When they were in the desert, God provided the manna in another way. It says when they came into the new land of Canaan, in Joshua chapter 5, that on the day they, they began to take the land, the manna was cut off, and they became a new agricultural society. They went from being slaves to semi-nomadic to agricultural people, and every time God provided in a new way for them. And so the Feast of Pentecost was saying, Jesus Christ has died, risen again. You need to make things right with him and accept his atoning sacrifice. And God is providing for the world hope in a brand new way. It's called the church. And he's bringing the kingdom of heaven to bear on, on, on the kingdoms of earth through the church. And so God is lining this all up. All these Jewish People 
who were believers in God from around the world, who would come together, who would, who would take a journey, a spiritual journey to come there, have their hearts open and are accepting Christ. There are Gentiles there and they're accepting Christ too. This thing is erupting, but God has set it up in the fullness of time, just as he did with Christ. In the fullness of time, the church came. And the church is now being established as to raise up Jesus Christ as the hope of the world. It was a time for a covenant renewal with God every year. 12, 120, 3,000 and beyond. And everyone was filled with awe. Signs and wonders accompanied the teaching of the apostles. God was making a pronounced visitation. And the people that were there were already there to celebrate. So they were celebrating God's visitation. And he was ratifying and getting rid of the old covenant he'd given to Moses and fulfilling that covenant in Christ and giving a new covenant. There was a new covenant to be set up in Jesus Christ. And everyone was filled with awe. Like the early church, when we fully celebrate this covenant with Jesus Christ, the covenant that we have with him, the reason we have a cross up here, is because we're celebrating the covenant with God through his own blood shed for us. We are celebrating. We stand in awe of him. You know, we need more moments like that, more moments where we just stand in awe of God. One of my favorite scriptures about the awesome nature of God and also the intimate nature of God is Psalm 100. You have it in your outline there, and I want to read it out loud to you. It says this, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now I want you to stand up to your feet because I'm going to take you back to vacation Bible school times. Stand up. I miss vacation Bible school in the summer. You know why? Because in my church growing up, we had vacation Bible school. And if you made vacation Bible school every week, at the end of it, you got a treat from the Dairy Queen. Dilly bar, buster bar, something like that. So as you're saying these verses, just pretend you're a little kid again in vacation Bible school and that a dilly bar is at stake right now. So that means you would really say it out, okay? And we're going to say this verse out loud together. These two verses out loud together. Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2. On three, let's start. One, two, three. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. This summer, when I got to go with my, my, uh, with my family to the beach, it was one of the highlights of our summer. And one of the things I love doing on the beach is putting on my iPod and putting in my, my music and going for a walk. And uh, nobody else in my family really likes to walk with me, and that's kind of okay, because I just kind of get some time on my own, and I put that in, and I go for a walk. And I was walking on the beach one day, and I just put on the, you know, praise and worship music and hit a mix, you know, whatever you want to play, just mix it all up. And I was walking along, and the dolphins were working on the sea line there and working the shoreline, and there were some cranes coming down. It was a beautiful morning. Just thinking, oh, wow, this is a majestic place to be before the Lord. And all that was happening, and a song came on my iPod, and I noticed the song, Our God is an Awesome God. 
right? How many of you know that song? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above. Wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Well, but I didn't recognize the artist. I'm like, I don't think I loaded this. This is a weird sounding song. It was Charlie Daniels <laughs> singing Our God is an awesome God, the Charlie Daniels band. And so I, I started to weep, and I didn't know if it was more because it was Charlie Daniels that I was weeping, or it was because God was there. I, you know, I was kind of glad I had my sunglasses on, but in that moment, I had this awesome, I mean, I was in an awesome, this, this is an awesome picture, and God is above it. He created all of this with his finger, with his hand. And it was an awesome moment just to lift up my heart to God. In these next couple moments as we sing this song, let's just lift up our voices and lift up that, that awe and wonder of a child before the Lord, just singing out to him, shouting out to him, and saying, God, you are awesome in our sight. Let's sing that out together to our awesome God.
Now, don't you feel your knees getting a little bit weaker, but your backbone getting a little bit stronger? That's what happens when you lift yourself up in worship to God. And you say, there is a God, and I am not Him. But I am the sheep of His hand. That's another way of interpreting Psalm 100. As a matter of fact, the King James Version says, we are the sheep of His hand. That means He takes... The great God who created it all redeems us and comes down to lead us by his own hand. A shepherd's sheep of his hands were the ones he kept close to them. Pulls us close. Leads us with him. Let's keep that straight this year and find our backbone by giving worship to our awesome God when we come together corporately and we disperse separately in our own private time with God. Let's do that. The second thing I see about the church's backbone here in the early church is there's a second portion of it. The second portion is this. To find our backbone, we need to humbly connect with our spiritual family. We need to humbly connect with our spiritual family. 244 says that all the believers were together and they had everything in common. That doesn't mean that they were clones and exactly alike. What it means is they were sharing everything in common. It means that all those people who had journeyed there stayed there. They stayed longer than they thought for the festival. And they weren't going back home. And so their homes were loaded with extended family people who were staying in Jerusalem because of all the hubbub that was going on with the eruption of this new thing called the ecclesia or the called out ones or the church were being called out to follow him. And they were humbly connecting with each other, sharing. It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Remember, this was a time of festival, of celebration. 
And so God is interjecting. He lined it all up and he's sweeping great numbers of people into the kingdom of God. And every day they're in the temple courts. They're in the outer part of the temple. And they're worshiping and preaching there and teaching there. And then they're going back to their homes. So 3,000 and growing numbers are in the temple courts. And then they're going into their homes from every tribe and tongue and nation. And there's smaller groups meeting and eating together. And it says that they come together humbly and they meet together with glad and sincere hearts. That word that we have translated sincere into the English actually means to be something that has been folded up is now being unfolded. Something that has been folded up for quite some time is now unfolded. It means that something that has been folded has hidden parts. And something that's unfolded has no what? Hidden parts. So it means that their lives, what they were doing was they were unfolding their hearts before each other about what God is doing in their lives. This summer, my kids gave me this beach towel as a gift when I went to the beach. And you can see if I unfold the towel, you can see that there are no hidden parts. You're trying to guess what's on there. And you can see then the goodness and glory of the Lord. This is a terrible beach towel. My kids should have measured me. I need one a little bit bigger than that, right? But, uh, you know, there's, there's, the, the point is this, that when I fold this towel up, there are hidden parts. There's parts of it that you can't see. You can guess about them, conjecture about them, but you don't know about them. And the more that it's folded, the less you can see or know about it. That was their hearts before the Lord. They were unfolding themselves before each other and before God. You know, unfolding yourself before someone is not an easy task, is it? It's not. You get married. I remember getting married and thinking, oh, we're unfolding our lives. And then pretty soon you start folding up little hidden parts of each other. And then should I show them that part of my life, that part of my heart? What will they do with that? What will they do with that thought or that emotion or that feeling, you know? And we spend most of our lives as married couples just learning how to unfold and accept each other and love each other and accept and work with each other. It's hard to do that, though, in a spiritual family. We don't expect you to come to daybreak and just unfold yourself to everybody. I mean, you would be a wreck emotionally. We would have you in counseling and maybe a straitjacket. <laughs> you know, let me unfold everything. Let me tell you everything, every day, every thought, every emotion, everything, you know. You know, no, 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 we don't want that. Okay? But it's hard to know how to do that. This past year, I've been working through some things, and uh, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, has agreed to coach me on how to integrate some of the emotionally healthy skills and practices into our church family. And so I think I'm kind of a pet project of Pete's, and I like that. Because he gives me extra time on the phone, and he sends me emails, and I get to talk. Why did you write it that way? When I was taking my sabbatical, I, I asked him, what does stop, rest, delight, and contemplate mean? Because that's the four parts of a Jewish Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and contemplate. So I wanted to do all four of those in my sabbatical, you know? So it's almost like, oh, I get to talk to this guy. He knows stuff over here. And he's very humble and loving. He's been to our church. He's been to West Shore Church. And we've done some things with them. And hopefully we'll be be able to have him and his wife, Jerry, back sometime this year. But he's he's been tutoring me on this. And and one of the EHS skills that I've been learning about is called a community temperature reading. And one of the things I realized about the community temperature reading, it's a way to unfold yourself uh, that gives guidance with somebody else. And I've been doing it with my wife 
And with my kids, my wife and I went for some training in the beginning of May up at New Life Fellowship in New York City where, where uh, Pete is the pastor there, now the pastor emeritus of the church. And this is one of the things that they have developed. And you, you just start at the bottom and you work your way up. And as you work your way up, the thermometer, you know, things get a little bit more intense, but you unfold a little bit more what's going on. But what happens with us a lot is a lot of times we don't share the things in the lower part of the thermometer. We jump right to complaints and solutions with people, right? I do that. But sometimes I'm not sharing the other parts of my life, like the appreciations, things I'm excited about, things I like about them. I've been doing this with my, uh, my two adult children that are still at home. Uh, one uh, will be soon be 21 and one's 17 years old. So they're adults. And so I told them, I need to learn a new pathway of communication with you and a new level of our relationship. I can't treat you like your little kids. I need, to, I need to go beyond that. And we need to start to have some dialogue and interchange. And so this helps us. And so we sit down at least once a month and, and go out for coffee or do something together and just sit down. And, and I actually give them the handout and they like it. And we walk right through it, you know, just to keep us online. And we start with appreciations or excitements. You know, I'm excited about it. I appreciate something. It could be about the other person. It could just be about life, you know. I appreciated dinner last night. It was really good. <laughs> You know, it can be as simple as that. And then you move to worries, concerns, or puzzles. Things I'm puzzled about, things I don't know about, things that just are kind of intriguing to me, but at the same time, I don't know what to do with that, you know? So it kind of lets you know what's going on in somebody else's world. And you reciprocate back and forth and do that. And then complaints and possible solutions are always phrased as, I notice this, I would prefer that. Like I can say to them, I notice when you borrow my car, it's unempty when it comes back. I would prefer that it be at least a quarter of the tank full. Doesn't need to be totally full. Quarter of the tank. I would prefer that. Okay? But if I do those first couple things with them, then we can work on these other things. Right? And they can say to me, Dad, I notice when I come home late, you freak out. I would prefer you check your iPhone and see that I texted you that I will be a bit late and that you'll just pray for me and, and know that I'm going to be okay. All right? That's a very simple thing, okay? And then you can move up to the next one is um, uh, new information. This is something new. These are new things. We forget to tell each other what's going on in our lives, you know? And, uh, you know, uh, you know we're, we're, going to, we're all going to go on vacation next year. Or we're going to go in, in the wintertime for Christmas. We're all going to go to Josh's place out in the area or whatever's going on. You know, so people can plan ahead and look ahead, you know, and, and I hope and I wish and I'm excited about, you know, as we have this conversation and as we interact with one another, that I hope that we can, you know, grow closer to one another and learn a new relationship with one another. You know, this is a way to give guidance to unfolding yourself. You know, we have this in scripture and we need to unfold ourselves. This is a way to give us guidance to do that. You can do this in your small group. You can do this with your spouse. You can do this with your kids. I, I use it with our staff and even our elders now. They know when I say, I notice, but I would prefer. We all kind of just chuckle. Oh boy, here it comes. And we notice when it's coming from somebody else. And we don't take it as a negative because we don't bring a critique without an answer. I notice but I would prefer this rather than, I just notice. I notice. You know what I notice? I notice, I notice, I notice, I notice. It says to someone else, you suck. That's what I notice. That's the message that it sends. But if you say, I notice, but I would prefer it, then you can negotiate, right? And you can unfold your heart before each other. That's what the early church was doing, unfolded hearts. And we need guidance to do that. 
I'll be teaching this skill this fall in our journey class. If you haven't taken journey class, sign up for it. You'll learn this skill. You'll practice this skill. You'll get to know how to use this. If you'd like to get it today, you can get on Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and you can download their app to your iPhone. All this stuff is on there, okay? It's all on there. We need to learn how to unfold our hearts before each other in ways that are appropriate and helpful for each other, like the early church did, so that true koinonia takes place, so that we're really meeting with each other heart to heart, so that we go deeper than donuts and coffee, and we get down to the nitty-gritty of what's really going on in our lives, so that true koinonia, what, helps us stay on a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ. When I have true koinonia with you and you with me, it encourages me to stay on a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ, okay? And it encourages you to do the same thing. The third thing I see in finding our backbone is this. We can find our backbone when we generously contribute to God's work in this world. When we generously contribute to God's work in this world. It says in Acts 2.45 that they sold their possessions and goods and they gave to anyone as they had need. Now you need to remember what's going on there. Again, there were many house guests from all over the world who hadn't left. In some ways, they had overstayed their welcome. With the energy, enthusiasm, and excitement that was going on in Jerusalem, they just didn't want to go back home. But they all had to be fed, housed, bathed. Just like when you're traveling, right? You run out of stuff if you stay longer than you thought. You run out of toothpaste. You run out of deodorant. You run out of food. You run out of money. And so they were running out of all of that. So that's why they were selling goods and possessions to take care of all these guests that were staying. I don't know if they thought, hey, Jesus is going to return any day. No sense in going back home. We'll just all stay here. But I know this. It is true what they say, that after three days, there's a commonality between family, friends, and fish. After three days, they all stink. That's the way I think. You know, after three days, we had the festival. The matzah soup is all gone. Time to be gone with you guys. Back to the ends of the earth. Back to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Ends of the earth, wherever you're from. Great to have you. Glad you got saved. Take the kingdom of God back where you're from. Get out of my house. Right? I mean, how many of you are like that? You don't want everyone staying there forever. Come on. Great to have you. I packed you a lunch for your trip home. (laughs) But they weren't doing that. Their hearts were different. They were hospitable. They were loving. They were kind. They were selling possessions. They were sharing their homes with people from other nations and loving them and caring for them so the kingdom of God could be advanced. That's what was happening in the early church. That's what it means they had everything in common. In the annual report, I'm sure you all read the annual report, right? Don't raise your hands, but I'm sure you all read it with bated breath. Couldn't wait. Well, the annual report's coming out. Yes. Wait. Let's put it in the bathroom right by the toilet so we can read it again and again and again. <laughs> My annual report I talked about is picking out a theme for the year, and our elders picked out this theme. I helped them pick out the theme. The theme's about being generous and reflecting God's generous nature. So one of my jobs this summer on sabbatical then was to put together a series on generosity. Now, the next series that we have 
after, after today, it's going to be the series Here and Now. Okay, that's our fall series. And that will run up right through the beginning of October. And then we'll start what we call our fall all-church campaign. Our all-church campaign will go from there on and be about generosity, okay? And I'm going to give you, open the door to that a little bit, because this was part of my job this summer, to get that series together and, and write the initial outlines for it. And I, I entitled the series, Open Hands, Reflecting God's Generous Nature. Uh, I like that. And so I put that down. It's called Open Hands, Reflecting God's Generous Nature. And the first week will be Living with Open Hands. And we'll look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, where God opened his hands. And it says that God in his very nature is not a greedy grasper, but he is a generous giver. And he emptied himself. What does it look like to empty ourselves and look like God? Second week, we'll look at defeating the scarcity mentality when we look at the the story of the widow's offering who gave everything that she had. What does that look like? Everyone has something to give, and what you give matters in the kingdom of God. Week three, asking for God's two or three cents from the prodigal son. The prodigal son wasn't using his common sense. He wasn't asking for God. So what do we do when we study the story of the prodigal and get God's good sense for our life? Week four, if you buy it, he will come. Matthew thirteen forty four is about the parable of the hidden treasure where a man sells all that he has to buy a field because he knows there's a hidden treasure in that field. What does it look like to do that? What, how is that a picture of God and our followership of him with our generosity? Week five, whose pie is it anyway? It's Matthew 25, the parable of the talents and that God has entrusted a certain amount to us. And how do you divide up and allocate the pie that God has given you? And how would you like to change that allocation? And what is your plan from getting from here to there? Okay? Because everything that you have is only on loan to you from God. And you're one of his managers. Week six, worshiping with open hands, will be from Genesis 14, 17 through 21. I'm going to attempt to preach my first sermon ever on Melchizedek and Jesus. How many of you have ever heard a sermon on Melchizedek? How many of you ever heard the word Melchizedek before? Okay. It says in the New Testament that Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And one of the few things that we know about Melchizedek was that he received a tithe from Abraham. One of the first tithes given from Abraham was to Melchizedek. But we don't know much more about Melchizedek. So we're going to go ahead and look into that. It may be the only sermon you ever hear on that. And you may be bored to tears, but come on out. I don't think so. It's about worshiping with open hands, and we'll close that series. And we're doing that so that during this year, we want to take a year where we say, hey, how can we be generous reflection of God? He's been generous to us. How do we become, how do we study the scriptures so that we understand what generosity is, biblical generosity, and live that out in our lives, okay? And this brings us to our last point this morning regarding the establishment of our backbone as the people of God. You and I can find our backbone when we prayerfully help people discover the life-changing journey of following Jesus Christ. When we help people, prayerfully help people discover that life-changing journey of following Jesus Christ. Acts 2.47 says, They praised God, they enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were experiencing divine appointments where they could share their testimony and help people cross the line of faith. Remember what Jesus had told them when he commissioned them before this great outbreak. In Acts 1.8, it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And isn't it interesting that up to this point, and if you read the book of Acts through the first eight chapters, you only see them fulfilling the first part of that vision. They are only being his witnesses in Jerusalem. They are not going back home to Judea and to Samaria. They're not returning to the ends of the earth. They've begun to lose their backbone. We can get so excited sometimes about the work of God that we forget about the commission of God that tells us to take the gospel, the whole gospel, to the whole world. Many scholars think that it was God who brought the persecution on the church in Acts chapter 8 so that they would disperse and go back out and take the good news to where they lived, to their language, to their people group. And so it says in Acts 8.1, One day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were what? Scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The distribution of the good news was starting to go out. And God had to bring a persecution in order to get the good news and get the holy huddle broken up. Right? We're not the only ones that contribute to a holy huddle. It happened pretty early on in the church. They started to lose their backbone. They lost part of what God wanted them to do. In our journey class, we help you put together a journey plan so that you have a biblical backbone to walk out your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you take the journey class, during the class, you develop this journey plan, and it takes you through. How are you going to help people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus Christ? How are you going to celebrate His grace? How are you going to connect with his family? How are you going to contribute to his work? And as we walk through the nine-week course, you build your plan. At the end of that time, you have a coaching session with a coach who helps you with that plan. And then they do a follow-up with you 30 days after that coaching session. So we can help you build a biblical backbone to follow Jesus Christ as a member of the Daybreak family. And so membership isn't about just signing a roll or coming this afternoon and voting. It's about having a plan to develop your soul before God. And we all follow that same vision together as members of this church family, okay? One of the things that we do, and I do in the classes, I share parts of my plan as we're going through the class. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing next. And I want to share with you just a part of my plan. I want to zoom in on that celebrating, celebrating God's grace part of it, okay? And celebrating God's grace means that we uh, celebrate God's grace corporately together like we're doing on Sunday mornings, but we each individually have a celebration. We have a personal worship time. We have a personal time alone with God where we study the word, we pray, we walk with God, whatever. One of the things that I'm doing, and I just confess to you, I like my little iPod. I can wear it on my wrist, throw my headphones on, and go out and take a walk. And one of the things I'm doing for the next couple months is our little dog, Lily, likes to be walked in the morning. Matter of fact, she'd take a walk any time of the day. You'll take her for one. She has to be walked first thing in the morning. So I've started a new routine where I take her for a walk, take her around a half a mile, drop her off, put this on my wrist, turn on the worship music, and then I go for about a half an hour walk, just keep circling our neighborhood, worshiping God. And I ask for divine appointments. I ask for God to meet me. I pray for my wife and I pray for my family. I pray for my neighbors because I can see them getting in their cars and going here and there. I pray for uh, Good Hope Road Campus that's just right up the road from my house. I pray for this campus. I see people, during that half hour, God just starts to inform prayer. 
Because before I've done that, I've read the Word of God. I didn't put that up there, but this is a habit that I'm trying. You see, we need to to do new things because sometimes when you're walking with God for a while in your time alone with God, your tag, T-A-W-G, right? You need some spiritual muscle confusion to happen. You've gotten too used to just reading the daily bread and doing this and this and it's become rote to you. You need to try some new things. So I put the date. I'm just going to try this till December, till the snow starts to fly. And I'm going to do it with diligence in order to meet with God. But I have some backbone that I'm building with God because I have a plan to walk with Him this fall. If you haven't taken the journey class, I'd invite you to take it. Come on out. Build that plan. Come on out with us and do that. Today on Vision Sunny, we gathered not to discern some new dream, but to revisit the dream that God has given us. I so confessed at the beginning that over a year ago, I was way too consumed with what was God's dream for me? What was my little dream? I will never know God's dream for me until I embrace his bigger dream for all of mankind and for the church. And then he'll inform as I walk with him. As he says, come follow me, and I start to walk, and I celebrate his grace, and I connect with his family, I contribute to his work as I help other people discover that life-changing journey with Jesus. Then he shows me in him and in his vision who I really am, what he wants me to accomplish, and how he wants me to draw close to him. One of the other things that we do in our journey classes we teach some hand motions that go along with the vision. So I want you to stand up right now. It's Vision Sunday. And I'm going to teach you something we do in the journey class, okay? Three ways of remembering the 3C lifestyle, okay? So we're all helping other people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus. And there's three ways of remembering that, okay? The first one is celebrating God's grace. Is hands up, okay? Hands up. Celebrating God's grace. Connecting with God's family is hands together. And contributing to God's work is hands out. Okay? Hands up. Hands together. Hands out. You guys think you can remember that? Okay? So we're going to say, celebrating God's grace. Put your hands up. Some, some of you can do that at the same time. We can talk and raise our hands at the same time. <laughs> okay? Celebrating God's grace. Connecting with God's family contributing to God's work. Okay, let's do it one more time. Celebrating God's grace, connecting with God's family, contributing to God's work. Now tell somebody next to you they did a great job and then you can have a seat, okay? <laughs> Recently I was finishing reading a short uh, book for one of my professor's His name is Edmund Chan. He's the pastor of the Covenant Evangelical Free Church in Singapore. And he was our guest lecturer for the last course that I took in July. He came from Singapore to teach for four days. And it was a joy to have him as a professor. He's an intelligent man, but he loves God. His church has just grown off the scale in Singapore. And he kind of reminds me, how many of you watched the old TV show Kung Fu? Kung Fu. Okay, some of you remember that. Kung Fu had this sensei, and he reminded me of the sensei. He reminded me of the guy that said, you know, grasshopper, when you can take the pebble from my hand, you may leave. Matter of fact, I thought I was going to have to stay in Nyack for a couple months with him because I wasn't really getting things. But I was reading one of his books and I was, I was ending the book. And when you take one of these courses, you end up staying in a hotel there. And I always get a roommate. 
want somebody else in my cohort or one of the other cohorts. We share the room. It's cheaper to do it that way. And uh, Jack Herman, uh, who's a pastor out near Pittsburgh, uh, in Uniontown, uh, we, we've been rooming together the last couple times. So Jack's over there, and he's reading his book. I'm reading my book. And you're in class from 8 o'clock in the morning to about 6 o'clock at night. You take a break to eat. Then you read and write stuff. And then you go back to class the next day. You go to class Monday through Saturday. You usually have Sunday off a little bit. And you visit a church uh, on, your, on your Sunday Sunday off. So um, just, you know, you're, you're pretty stacked full. So I was trying to finish this thing, and I was getting really tired and sleepy. It was about 1130 and I knew I was going to have to get up pretty early because I always got to beat it to the Dunkin' Donuts before anybody else so I can get a coffee. I don't eat any donuts there, okay? I just eat the co- drink the coffee there. But it is the nectar of life, the toasted almond coffee. Very good for you, by the way, too. <laughs> so I'm getting sleepy, and I turn to this last Paradigm 30 in the book. Good. I'm at Paradigm 30. There's 30 paradigms. Praise the Lord, you know. Finishing Reverend Chan's book. And I read these words. They were caught by surprise. Jesus cried out aloud. The scriptures captured that dramatic moment with these striking words. Jesus cried out to his father with a loud voice. Some of the eyewitnesses must have been momentarily stunned. It was totally unexpected. Jesus, the young rabbi, was hardly known to shout. He taught with grace. He ministered with love. He spoke with gentleness. The times he spoke out strongly were when he rebuked something that needed rebuking, hypocrisy especially. But this time, he was raising his voice, not to hypocrites. He was addressing his heavenly Father out loud from the cross. And he said these words, Into your hands I commit my spirit. He yelled it out. A sacred trust. It's a rare and a holy thing. In his last breath, Jesus was declaring aloud a sacred trust. Most sadly, the compulsive neurosis of our age mitigates and militates against such a blessed posture of the surrendered soul. We are compelled to be in control of everything, every time. Our anxious soul is compulsively driven. Such a compulsion drives, such a compulsive drive makes it harder for us to really commit ourselves to God. To be arrested in Him is deemed a spiritual luxury that many impoverished souls have abandoned. We have sold our birthrights, no surrender, no peace, no rest of the Spirit, yet Jesus shouts out into your hands, I commit my spirit. C.H. Spurgeon said, Our spirit is the noblest part of our being. Our body is only the husk. Our spirit is the living kernel. So let us put it into God's keeping. Well, God used that reading that night, and I just broke down in tears. And I lifted my hands up, and Jack could see me laying over there. And from my bed to his, isn't just a little bureau between us? And he said, hey, Smitty, what are you doing over there? And I said, Jack, it's been far too long that I've held my spirit in my own hands. It's a dangerous place for it to be. I've got to get my, hand, my spirit in God's hands, the deepest part of my being. I say that today to say to you, We need the structure and the principles of the early church to be our backbone. But we need to be infused by the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way that we can do that is to surrender. And so every day since that day in late July, I lift my hands. And I surrender. And I say to Jesus many times a day, into your hands I surrender my spirit. This morning I was doing it. I was merging from... 581 on to 15. I figured nobody else was there. I can get one hand up. 
And I said, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And about that time, this black pickup truck zoomed by, and I said, oh, I'm so glad I put my spirit in your hands. He just about killed me. <laughs> Today is the day for all of us together as a church family to say to God, we will follow your principles. We will build your backbone. But most of all, we will surrender our spirit together into your hands so that you can teach us how to walk with you and follow you to celebrate your grace, to connect, to contribute, to help others so that the kingdom of heaven comes to bear on the kingdoms of this earth through us, his church. So as the hope of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ is alive in us, in us, on us, and through us. And so in the next couple moments, I just want to pray over you and for you. And I want to bless you. I want to thank you for being committed to this church family and being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to stand at this time and I just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and receive this prayer as a blessing. Just go ahead and stand to your feet. And let God just burn in you and speak to you about the backbone that you need and the spirit of God that you need so that perhaps every day you'll join me and you'll say to God into your hands I commit my spirit throughout the day you'll say it again and again if you need to you'll shout it you'll lift your hands into your hands I commit my spirit Lord, today we reclaim our backbone, our biblical backbone, given by your word to us. Together we surrender our spirits into your hands. We commit together as a church family, we're going to fully celebrate your grace, your awesome nature with our lips and with our lifestyle, corporately together and individually as we go. We commit today as a church family to humbly connect with one another and to unfold our hearts in such a way that keeps us on the upward way of walking with you, Jesus. We commit today to generously contribute to your work in this world by returning what you have entrusted to us. Today we commit as a church family, we surrender to prayerfully help other people discover a life-changing journey with Jesus by making the most of the divine appointments that you put into our pathway. Lord Jesus, most of all, I pray in this moment, and if you want to do this, just lift up your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm getting my spirit out of my hands. It's a dangerous place for it to be. I'm putting it into yours. You created it. You made it. Inform it, renew it. You're my creator, you're my redeemer. Here is my spirit, the depth of my being. I put it into your hands. Lead me in a life-changing journey with you. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Today and in the coming days and in this year, fill Daybreak Church at Good Hope Road and at Gettysburg Pike and in all of our homes and our neighborhoods and our workplaces 
in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, our Samaria, into our ends of the earth. Fill us with you as we commit our spirit to the best place that it could be, back into its maker's hands. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, amen, amen. You can be seated. I want you to take the next couple moments and pull out your response card. And on that, you can write down a prayer request or personal response this morning. Take the next couple moments as reflective moments before God. I thank you for taking a couple moments to do that, and then we'll move into the next song.